Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I'm Michael Zalavari, and joining me in this two-parter episode tonight, we're going to split in half, halfway through. We'll explain more about that later. For the first half, though, I have with me Kiwi Chris and Ollie. I'm not going to make this, that mistake again. Ollie Trollivus. Good evening, lads. Good evening. Good to be back. You were close. Trollivus. I can't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, just yeah I'll, I'll let it go but no the problem is your problem is your name on discord where we're recording this has your like full handle and i always read that and yeah okay anyway anyway we're going to talk about the wc race at spa to start with and then we'll have austin and chris uh who actually got to catch up in person at uh road america so they'll talk a bit about uh some road america happenings and imsa stuff but firstly the wc is back well, it was back. Finally. Yeah, 174 days between WEC events and boy howdy, it was a majesty to behold. It had a little bit of everything and then some. So we're just going to crack straight into it. The first thing I want to mention before we really get into the teeth of the event was that there was blistering conditions at Spa for the weeks leading up to the event. So the ELMS race was 35 degrees and hot the whole weekend. The whole week of the WEC race was about that same temperature. And then the morning of the race, it bucketed down. And so we actually started under safety car and there was a few more rain showers through the race. And that really threw up a very challenging event for the return to WEC. Because remember, for a lot of these drivers, it'll be the first time that they've been in a sports car since February, since Coda. So weather paid a really, really big part. There was cars going off on the formation lap as well. I think uh, the Alpine was very, very lucky not to hit the wall at Eau Rouge. So it was a bit of a mess, but we got underway and it was good to have WEC racing back. So thank you for bringing us back what we're here to watch. Uh, But it was an intriguing race, wasn't it? It was. And we should say the weather was actually a vast improvement on last year. Yeah, when 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 cars going off in the formation lap is an improvement to the weather last year, you know you're in you know you're in the end. Yeah, confirm. <laughs> After what? checking into the four seasons last year, yeah, it, it was much an improvement. Brilliant. Also, uh, also was the winds Porsche. I don't know if Keating was driving at the time that went off on the formation lap as well, but it was his car at the very least. Yeah. How- he, yeah, he didn't hit the wall harder than he did either. Did he actually hit the wall? I missed I that. Did, I think he missed it by like... Missed it by that much. Inches, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that really threw a spanner into the works. And we saw another spell of rain about 90 minutes in, which uh, really changed the entire shape of the race. Uh, surprise, more cars didn't go off through that period as well, actually. Mm. Everyone was quite well behaved. Um, but what we did notice was a significant drying of the track very quickly on both occasions. Once the rain stopped, it was like the track had heaters underneath it and just really saw a dry line coming together. And I think that is one of the reasons why there was a bit of malarkey in the pits and with tire strategy throughout the race, uh, because finding the right time to swap to slicks was uh, paramount for a lot of the races, except in P1, where the race was basically decided after the first stint. Yeah, well, who would have thought a four-wheel drive would have an advantage over two-wheel drive in wet conditions? I mean, there was that, but there was <laughs> also a little bit, maybe you call it inexperience from the Rebellion, um, because oh, yeah. because in that first stint, they were nowhere. 
I think something to the tune of seven or eight seconds per lap slower than the Toyota. So what was their mistake? Hypercars. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I have to commend McNish in the booth for this one because he called it perfectly before. He was saying, you know, this isn't Norman Nato's fault. A lot of people here were saying in in when we were discussing the race live, oh, you know, Nato, it's his fault. Why is he driving? And then McNish backed him up and then the team came out and said, yeah, we got the tyre pressures too high. And it was, yeah, it was a complete waste of a stint. It completely lost them touch from the front of the race. And ever since then, they were fighting to catch up. But in the in the wet, they were just not there at all. Yeah, I think by the time I tuned into the race, I missed the start. Uh, and when I caught it on replay, they'd, they'd lost two laps by the second safety car period. And two laps as a privateer going up against Toyota, even with an EOT advantage, which we'll discuss a little later on, you are never going to gain that back. And even even the bike collars, I mean, this is no slight to bike collars, but even a haven't raced for a whole season by collars was quite comfortably ahead of the rebellions at the first in. And Kiwi, this is something that we've seen in racing a bit closer to home as well. I think the 2017 Bathurst 1000, uh, Triple Eight mm-hmm. messed up the tyre pressures, and uh, we saw a similar thing happen for for the Shane Van Gisberg and Matty Campbell car. Yeah, where they where they basically spent the last half of the race just chasing their own tail and eventually running out of brakes. Yeah, well, that hard. yeah, that that was a great Bathurst. If you want to catch up on that one, if you can find it, but yeah, people were saying the same things as Ollie was just suggesting. You know, everyone was saying Campbell was a joke. Campbell doesn't have the skill, and then the team came out and said we missed mm. the tire pressure window by a mile. Uh, but in yeah. the dry, the the comparison was quite a lot closer than a lot of people were expecting. Ollie, you've done a bit of analysis for us. Can you tell us a bit about what you found? Yeah, so, on dry weather running the the parity is really 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 there i've i haven't seen this it this close in a long time if you take the top 50 laps from the top three cars uh, and then average them out individually the both toyotas were setting an average lap time of two minutes four seconds point two and then the rebellions were two minutes four seconds point five that's including all the laps with traffic as well and we're talking about oh rebellion they can't get around traffic this is including that window so it is compared to what we've had at the start of the season let's say this is ridiculously good balance if you if you plot their traces as they get um through developed through their best laps they are going toe to toe matching really 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 close so it's a shame that it wasn't a fully dry race because then it would have been really close all the way through the six hours, potentially Toyota just winning on time in the pits alone. But for the team to drop off like they did in the wet is, you know, is shocking. They were in the wet slower than by Collis, which is saying something. Well, yeah, it's in... just not, not good enough. And, and it's not, you know, um, a good omen for a autumn Le Mans. Yeah, that, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit later on as well. Yeah. But in the transition between the wet and the dry, the fastest cars on track were not 
the Rebellions, of course. Not even the Toyotas. Actually, the top of the LMP2 field uh, with Guido Vandergaarder behind the wheel uh, that were the fastest cars on track. But even through the, the first stint, the Rebellion was struggling to keep the LMP2s behind and, in fact, got passed by, I think, three or four of them, uh, which I think was Vandergaarder, Albuquerque, and... I'm trying to remember the third. Um, I think it might have been Menezes in the Alpine. Um, so, yeah, the, the car... He's in the Rebellion. Oh, he's in the Rebellion. <laughs> it's, uh, everyone's, everyone's swapping cars on me so quickly. With You've all done the... too many rewatches of the yeah. historics. Were you thinking of Andre Negrau? Yes, the Grau. So I think they they had a bit of a leg up on the Rebellion in that first stint, and there shouldn't be an opportunity for the LMP2 cars to be passing on pace the LMP1s like that. It's a, it's a legacy of the um, the veto for the tyre um, yeah. change yeah. in LMP1. You know, ever since the 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 complaints have died down, but they're still there. They're still have too much power for the rear tires compared to the toyotas and then no power through the front tires so they're going to be ice cold and overheating at the rears compared to a um, toyota setup which is less power on the rear axle and also driving the front axle so they've they've got it against them the 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 hand is against them before the start of the race and then when you throw in the effects of a wet track tire temperatures are just super hard to manage and and that's why lmp2 cars that are pretty similar nowadays especially to the rebellion which is an upgraded lmp2 let's be fair um they have all of this wealth of of development of history of driving in the wet as well and the tires are bespoke for them so you know it's kind of not that much of a surprise anymore. Yeah, I great that you bring that up because I have a question. Well, I had a thought. Uh, would it have been maybe better for Rebellion to maybe run the LMP2 tyres or run a development prototype of the LMP2 tyres this season instead of running a tyre that's made for a four-wheel drive hybrid application, run something that's made for an Orica 07 chassis and do some development on it to make it deal with some slightly higher, uh, slightly larger power and uh, better aero. Would that be something that could have been made, a decision that could have been made at the start of this season? They they could have done it if they had the money. Yeah, fair. But they they are given tyres from Michelin and uh, they've got to use them. Yeah, fair enough. Um, maybe something... Well, I was going to say something to think about for the future, but the future of this class is two more races. So uh, that's a little bit of a shame. And the future of Rebellion as well is only two more races. In saying that, though, it was in- extremely encouraging to see the EOT bring the lap times together so closely. Uh, we've had so many discussions and complaints and things to note about the EOT over the course of the season. Um, But as we approach the final stages, it is good to see at least that it's gotten close to the mark in terms of a race. Of course, the entire point is to equalize the championship when you could argue to the end of the earth about, about whether or not that's done that. Um, But with Le Mans coming up next, uh, where there will be no success ballast system. That was part of the agreement with Toyota. And then Bahrain after that, which 
could very potentially have a much larger effect from the results of Le Mans, uh, this might be as good as we get to see it. It's encouraging because it is a, well, not that similar, but it's as similar, I guess, as you can get to the South Circuit. So it's kind of proving that now they know how to do it. They just need to do it again. Yeah. But the the success ballast system has taken off at Le Mans, isn't it? Yeah, the the, it, it, the success handicap system yeah. um, is is being removed, but they know what parameters are required. Let's say uh, when they do the custom balancing, as it were, in air quotes. Yeah, go ahead, Kerry. I'm kind of hoping that because obviously they it comes off for Le Mans and it gets reapplied for Bahrain. I'm kind of hoping they forget the Le Mans result, forget this race because there was compromised with a wet track, and of course it's going to be faster on a wet track. Just take this success belt, success handicap system into Bahrain. Yeah, that would be, be mad. Yeah, <laughs> just take this. It works. Take it. Yeah, that would be uh, probably the most correct uh, way of doing it. But of course, the ACO has this legislated in place, and we know what Frenchies, being Frenchies, are like. Oh, we're going to throw it in there, of course, every single time. Um, so yeah, we might see it changed, but. Uh, depending on how far the success ballast swings, we could see a continuation of the trend of a team in LMP1 leaving the sport, winning the final race of the season at Bahrain, which has happened three <laughs> times now? <laughs> Two times? <laughs> so, yeah. We need to make an edit of the uh, goodbye Audi um, <laughs> or the goodbye Porsche videos where there's, what's it, the tractor? Yeah, going down that German highway, but just give it like a what zebra print paint job. I don't know. <laughs> or just 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 a cam- just a watch rolling down the road, rebellion leaving. Oh no, not a rebellion. <laughs> they would- don't roll; they're like square. <laughs> that would that would be a very expensive ad just for the watch. <laughs> uh, uh, any other comments on LMP1 before we move on? LMP1 was basically decided at the end of the first stint. Unfortunately, um, we should mention though that uh, the number eight Toyota had problems, electrical problems, um, which does not necessarily bode well heading into Le Mans. Um, So the number seven one, I'm going to just quickly fact check because I'm not 100% sure if I got that right. Yeah, that was the right way around. Um, So a win in the tune of 34 seconds at the end of the race. It seemed to be a problem with the pit lane speed limiter coming on or some other related limp mode coming on when the car was coming out of slow corners, um, which uh, troubled the number eight car. Uh, So, you know, it didn't affect them too much in the end, but it certainly put them out of shape for the win. And you're right, it is a concern for the 24-hour race, but at the same time, with Toyota being as good as they're going to be compared to the other LMP1s, as long as they can get a handle on that, they'll be fine. Um, Quick touch on by Collars. They were third in the early stretch, uh, comfortably faster than the P2 cars, which is, I think, their main goal. Uh, They did suffer a bit of an electrical gremlin or some sort of gremlin in the car late on, so they finished uh, 17 laps down. But you can't be too disappointed with that result, seeing as they haven't run for an entire year. The biggest... Yeah, the biggest um, thing for me, I think they've been developing that electronics package as you said because having attended the wet race last year they they have a, a or had at least a really poorly calibrated 
gearbox setting ah, yes you where can. they could i've mentioned it before where they could only shift gears on no throttle or 100 percent throttle and in the wet you you really want to balance on the throttle and exit and be really careful and not have too much wheel spin to be able to change gear by mashing the throttle um but in the wet they were only uh, two three seconds a lap slower than the toyotas with four-wheel drive so that would lead me to assume maybe they've got that drivability um set up a lot better yeah. to be able to short shift which is you know kind of like a basic human right of <laughs> lmp1s i guess um that they never had but yeah i think it's it's an improvement and um fair play yeah well not only were they only two or three seconds behind the toyotas but they were two or three seconds ahead of rebellion for that first stint so they were in a commanding third position for the early part of the race and they were in fact uh yeah ahead of the p2 field through that wet period as well which is better than what the rebellions can say so it worked out nicely for them again they did have problems towards the end of the race but they didn't barbecue which is an achievement in itself kiwi did you have something you just wanted to add all I was going to say was my bike hollers Le Mans bit is, is is now tradition. Is probably looking pretty dangerous for me. What 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 is your what is your bet again that they make it through hour one? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. What's the worst that could happen? What's on the line this year? So you had olives, you had hot peppers. Um, what? Yeah, hot peppers. What's going to be next? I haven't decided yet. Suggestions in chat. <laughs> if you have a suggestion of what kiwi should eat, uh, provided by collars, make it through one hour of Le Mans, please let us know because that's one of my favourite parts of uh, watching Le Mans is watching kiwi make a fool of himself yet again. I always make a fool of myself. What are you saying? Yet again. <laughs> um, we'll move on to LMP2, which I think was the star of the show in the uh, in the Spa race. Uh, it was... In the end, uh, a one-lap gap, but that's a bit of a, a misnomer considering the location of the P1 field throughout the the race. So the the winner ended up getting a lap on the field, but it was a three-four-way tussle right up until the very latter stages of the race that could have gone anywhere between United Autosports, uh, Racing Team Netherlands, Cool Racing, and Signatech Alpine. And in the end, it was the form team, United Autosports, who have uh, who took this win, making it their third win in a row at Spa-Francorchamps, their third win in a row in the WEC, their fifth LMP2 win in the past six weeks, and continuing their winning streak in LMP2, which goes all the way back to Bahrain 2019, they are essentially untouchable at the moment. It's kind of scary. It's great they, form. They, they, yeah. they, they're just a great team with three, with possi- quite possibly the best driver lineup in the class. Are we that surprised? It's not that we're that surprised. It's just we haven't seen that level of consistency from an LMP2 team ever. Like even True. even G Drive at the peak of the the evil empire that they were didn't have that level of consistent winning. Sure, they were in the contention for championships everywhere, but they weren't winning races indiscriminately like that. Uh, True. Yeah, at the moment, United have just found something above everyone else. And 
it's making it look like the change from the Legio to the Orica is absolutely the, the correct decision to make if you're an LMP2 team because they've just come out of the blocks and just won everything. So yeah, can anyone challenge United anymore? Like, is anyone even close? Well, I don't think we... Remember, we didn't see the best of Jackie Chan DC this race. They were nowhere. They had what, early issues and ended up what, quite a number of laps down, didn't they? In the end? Yeah, they ended up uh, six laps down, eight laps down in the end, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So, and yes, they were on the uh, Goodyear tyre, which the wet tyre seemed rubbish. Well, I, I think, uh, Ollie, you've got another little plot that you've done that shows the difference in tyre performance between the all the LMP2 competitors. Can you shed some light onto why Jackie Chan DC and Jota were so far behind? Yeah, so it's the debut for wet tyres in competitive running for the new Goodyear supplier. Um, they are, let's not forget, the same family, as it were, um, as Dunlop. So there's quite a lot of carryover. But it is pretty new. Uh, and then when you think about amateurs as well, you can't pick up the dynamics of the specific tyre, new tyre, uh, quickly then it will take a while yeah i think you know they've got a lot to learn and build on and for their sake again just like we mentioned in lmp1 uh, we hope that Le Mans is dry because <laughs> they were really competitive in the dry yeah so you've done another lap uh, lap time trace for us similar to what you've done for the p1s and these will all hopefully be coming together in a sports car engineering blog sometime soon ollie hopefully hopefully yeah. yeah um so you'll be able to check them out for yourself what is immediately striking to me is that in the peak lap time between the two tires seems to be pretty similar but it it's so unsustainable um for the good years to stay at that top lap time for a long period of time so it's only five laps away from their best that the good year is six seconds seven seconds behind the the times that the the michelin clad runners can do in the wet and let's not forget we've spoken about this even in the very first days of endurance chat back in 2016 michelin wet tires seem to be just better than anything else you can put on a car i remember alex brundle in a in a wild card pegasus racing car at shanghai when they had that wet race in 2016 or 2015 where he was a lap ahead of the field and then as soon as it dried uh the the dunlops he was on were just um uh, sorry, the Michelins he was on was just monstered by the, the rest of the field coming at him. So Michelin do make a good wet tyre, and it absolutely showed. We made mention before that Guido van der Garde and uh, Felipe Albuquerque were the fastest cars on track in that transition period between the dry, uh, the wet and the dry. So yeah, the Goodyear guys did not have a good run. Uh, we should to- focus more on uh Guido van der Garde and the Racing Team Netherlands team because on the back of that amazing first stint they were in the hunt right until the very end of the race and Guido van der Garde came from behind the GTE field to lead the race at the end of the first uh wet running which is phenomenal and we've seen him do it time and time again at this circuit it seems he just seems to be absolutely hooked up around this racetrack and for me he was the driver of the day oh without question Nice. I thought Phil Hansen was pretty good. I thought Phil Hansen was probably a close second. But get get a Vanguard, definitely number one driver of the day. Yeah, and uh he just he just seems to have something that 
other people don't get around Spa-Francorchamps. It was very interesting how they did the strategy in the Racing Team Netherlands car because uh, they basically front-loaded all of his time and Job van Oetert's time and uh, left Fritz to do a very short, uh, the minimum stint in the dry later on. And it almost worked out for them. Um, Had uh, some of the incidents fallen their way, they actually might have come away with a win. But I did predict they'd get a podium, so I'm saying that's that's on me. I did that. (laughs) Uh, The Oracle Floodman. I wish... Anyone, anything else that you want to say about racing team other Because I think they just had the performance of the mm. season, even though they won a race already this season. Another team profiting from uh, the switch to Orica. They're doing pretty, pretty well. And and the main thing there is, yes, the, the peak performance of the pros is right up there with the best, if not being the best. And um, Fritz is no slouch. Let's not forget that. And Fritz is getting better. Yeah. Yeah. And there was something that Martin Haven said on commentary, uh, which I think is uh, something that we should probably think about and discuss a little more. Maybe not uh, right now, but just in general for LMP2 cars and the bronze and amateur drivers. Uh, this is when uh, Fritz was leading the race and Paul DeResta was coming up behind him. He said, Fritz is not slow. Uh, he's a very quick driver. If you were in the passenger seat, you'd be thinking he'd going very, very fast but he has an ex-Formula 1 driver behind him. So you have a very quick amateur driver versus a very quick pro driver, and that's the comparison. And it was two or three seconds a lap that DeResta was catching him, but he did. Fritz did an amazing job in keeping that car pointed in the right direction and being competitive as well. He, he managed to hold up Laurent for a few corners, which then ultimately resulted in quite a nasty incident for, for Laurent in the Alpine. Um, but the... At no real fault of of his own or Van Erd's in that respect. So, uh, but Fritz has definitely improved a long way from where he was in the Dallara, where it was basically a bit of a joke. <laughs> Let's be real here. <laughs> the other quote I liked as well that they took about talking about Fritz was his job is just to lose as little time as possible. So don't get involved in those battles, but get past smoothly and you get past cleanly. Yeah, and he actually went up a bit of a fight, like I said, against Laurent, and he even tried to fight Paul Resta, Paul Resta for a corner. And he almost hung on. <laughs> he almost hung on. I mean, it was always going to happen, but he almost hung on. He yeah. spun, I think, a few times at this track last year. So, yeah. you know, just keeping it, as you said, pointed in the right direction is doing his job. I wouldn't say he's a very quick amateur. Um He's kind of middle of the pack of bronzes, but, you know, compared to the worst driver at this race um, um, in that category, <laughs> he was, oh, he was stellar, you know. Um, oh, it, I could be it, it might stellar. Be something be to, yeah, it might be um, something down to a certain driver being 12 seconds a lap slower. Um, but yeah. we're not, we're not, No mentions of who that certain driver is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, on the whole, I think a very good race from from that team. And yeah, Fritz has come a long way. And we should hopefully be seeing them become a more consistent fixture at the top of the LMP2 field. Uh, they are third in the championship at the moment. They actually jumped Yoda Sport. So they're, they're sitting in third. And with, I think that's th- four third places, three third places and a win. So a pretty impressive resume so far this season. So the switch to the Orica again proving fruitful uh, for the team. We should talk, though, about the incident 
um, mm. between Laurent and Van Erd because that was quite a scary moment uh, with the the Alpine car basically becoming a carbon tub with not too much else connected to it uh, on the back straight heading into Blanchemont. Uh, yeah, anyone want to take the reins on, on describing what happened? Basically, it was just a case of... Was it the Red River Sport Ferrari as yes. well? Getting... Yep. Yep. So, yeah, Fritz went to the right into Blanchemont as you would passing traffic. Laurent went to the left. Fritz tr- went to take his racing line. Th- probably saw the Bicolors car in his mirror and thought, oh, yep, there's a prototype there. There's no prototype in that space. I can go to the take my normal race line through Blanchemont so I don't end up in the weeds, which, you know, it's fair enough. Unfortunately, didn't quite see Tommy with two wheels on the grass. Bit of a contact, and Tommy's ended up base over apex at a very quick part of the track. Yeah, it was not pretty uh, seeing the remains of the Alpine there. Um, and it, it, well, it basically threw the front right tire all the way down the road, almost made it to the bus stop, uh, the front right tire. The the tub was almost uh, shredded to pieces. Uh, but luckily, Laurent got out the car without any major injuries. He was mostly okay. Uh, but in terms of Signatech Alpine looking towards Le Mans, they've had two chassis uh, written off in the space of two months since we've restarted racing. So they would be scrambling to uh, pick together another a replacement chassis for their two-car tilt at Le Mans. Especially seeing that, uh, according to Graham Goodwin, there weren't any spares when the, when the ELMS crash happened. Yeah, so they actually had to use the the uh, Alpine car from the WEC to, to run at Paul Ricard. So not ideal for them, um, but... It was classified as a racing incident. Both parties had the same oh. few of events, and yeah, uh, I think everyone, everyone did. Yeah, so it, tragic, tragic accident. That's all it was. And it really pulled the the Alpine car out of a very competitive position because, mm. provided that provided they were in that battle for the end, they could have very easily taken another podium. They were they certainly had the pace. Oh, most definitely. Laurent's better with Deresta going too wide through Origin Radion. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> that was that was some driving it. I don't know. Do we know why Thomas lost his uh, Toyota test drive? He has, no. to have something else, he has to have something else lined up, surely. I don't hmm. know. Does anyone have any idea? Anyone in the chats? Anyone at all? Because he's too good a driver to not be in the P1 car for very long. Alpine, uh, you know, they might be doing a LMDH. So. Uh, yeah, that's a good Maybe. point. And who does he drive for right now? So True, true. He's found himself in the right seat at the right time, potentially. Mm. And um, just, uh, just a very coincidental point on uh, the Alpine incident. Uh, it brings to an end the longest continuous points scoring run in WEC competition for that car. Ironically, at 36 races. <laughs> Great stat. That's, that, that's, a, that's a, uh, one of those stats that you just can't make up because it's just too perfect. Don't you just love it how sports like that uh, sometimes? It's, 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 uh, that's one of the reasons I love just sport in general because the cliche stuff is allowed to happen and not be cliched because that is hilarious. Uh, I mean, besides, you know, the fact that it was a quite terrifying accident, a stat like that is hilarious. Uh, I want to pose to you guys. Yeah. 
it comes down to if you were on the back of the grid like racing team Nederland were do you think they did the strategy right where you put your fastest driver in and bring you to the front but then you've still backloaded with your kind of penalty of driving with a bronze oh, whereas yeah. cool racing flipped that completely on its head and they started Quan Yi, who's not that good a driver, let's be honest, in um, in the wet behind the safety car to burn some of that time um, and then have the fast Nico Lapierre to finish to then overtake Fritz van Eerd in the slower backloaded racing team Nederland car. With hindsight, which one um, would you do? Because if you put Fritz in the car to start with, they wouldn't be overtaking the GTs that easily and they might not be then in contention with the pros. And I think that's the key point and why you'd start Fritz, right? why you wouldn't start with Fritz, why you'd start with when you when you quick guys. Um, I think they, they just got unlucky that the rain, it rained so heavy they started on the safety car. Had the race started 20 minutes later, that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, it's an interesting little dilemma there. And of course, the risk is with your AM driver in the car in those conditions, you're potentially more likely to suffer an incident which will end your entire race. Uh, so it it worked. In the end, the history will show that the cool racing strategy was the better of the two because they did finish second um, with Lapierre and the car chasing down Van Erd in the in the closing stages to make that position. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's a difficult one. I think for Racing Team Netherlands, after what happened at Fuji, or not last year, but the year before in 2018, where they did that strategy of putting Fritz in at the beginning in the wet conditions, and it went terribly, so much so that Fritz actually came out and blasted the team for making that decision. Uh, I think they would err on the side of maybe giving one of the pros a run. I think though he had slicks on at the time so i think that was maybe the uh more important anger inducing point still though i wouldn't like a, a tall angry dutchman running at me after a, yeah, stint. A, t- a, a tall angry rich dutchman that too that too yeah what what would you think ollie what, what would your choice be hindsight um i think i would definitely go with the cool strategy because there was a nice safety car to punch it up mid-race i think um when the the rain came back but uh yes i don't know i think when the the race is all congested from the back of the grid it's kind of a bit risky as well to Mm. try and put your amateur to navigate that the gts and the prototypes they corner differently they um, they break differently, they accelerate differently. So having that kind of mismatch might be a bit too much. I don't know if it if it is if Fritz is nervous or if it's just he makes me nervous um, <laughs> in those situations. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. That's why I wanted to ask that question. It's certainly a good question, and we did see a few instances of what you were describing the the difference between the prototypes and the GT cars cause a few issues i think there was a situation where one of the united car well the united car went off while passing an aston martin and basically uh pushed the aston martin off into the weeds as well so yeah i i would tend to 
I I would I would play the percentage play and put the pro in. Uh, but if you are able to put the am in and have it be successful like Cool Racing did, then that's uh probably a better, safer strategy. And and in the end, it worked for Cool. They finished second ahead of Racing Team Netherland. United Autosports, as we mentioned, took the win. They extend their championship lead now to uh. 22 points over the Jackie Chan DC car, who we mentioned had a shocker. So that's gone entirely the other way around for the, for them. Uh, and then in uh, fourth was the Yoda Sport car. Settler Racing actually had a pretty a pretty anonymous race to finish fifth, which is still a pretty impressive result. Uh, then it was the Jackie Chan DC car who had problems. High Class Racing who had problems. And Eurasia Motorsport who had problems. Who and then driver yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, but if, I'm sorry, but if you're eight seconds off the pace, it's probably not a good sign to for your start of your career. For Eurasia? Yeah, uh, yeah for your start of your campaign for Le Mans, I should say. Well, I mean, let's not forget that Yamanaka probably ha- hasn't raced at Spa before, so that's might be a yeah. factor in it. Maybe uh, maybe, I'm just, maybe just feel like this car's meant to have Gizzy in it. Yeah, I am dirty about that too. Ah, oh, damn it. This is meant to be the year. Let's press on to GTE Pro. And this was a very interesting mixed race. There were battles all the way through, as we've come to expect with GTE Pro. But the interesting part was that different cars had different pa- levels of pace throughout the race in different conditions. Um, and what surprised me was that the car that had the most pace in the wet conditions was not the Porsche, not the Aston Martin. It was the Ferrari. Who would have expected that? Well, Ferrari Ferrari knew that yeah. they were going to be strong because they knew they were, the wet race was the only chance of them succeeding. Surely but the BOP wasn't that bad for the Ferrari. Well, if you listen to James Collado, it was, but who listens to James Collado about BOP? Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, what is it? It was, it was about a second between all six cars in the dry. Extrapolates out to what? One and a half in the wet? Two seconds in the wet? And it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Well, Ollie, you've, again, done the, the analysis that you've just put up in our chat room here. What what did you extract from, from that sort of data? I think it's more of a setup thing rather than a, a car dynamics, you know, inherent property thing. Because the, the class completely switches on its head in the rain. Um, in the dry, the Ferrari was clearly the slower chassis in the class but then in the rain it was really really competitive um and yeah the porsche fastest in the dry but then flip it on its head and it was the slowest by a margin um in the rain so and then the aston martin was kind of in 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 the middle for both um but whilst still competitive in both um if this was a setup decision, I think Porsche pretty much nailed it because they had quite a long run into the flag. I think two and a half hours that were dry. So when you want to be competitive is when you're close, closing down the race to the flag. So I think if it was, yeah, if it was a setup thing, then I think Porsche nailed it. And what intrigues me about that plot the most is the significant gap between the two Porsches in the dry. Now, it might it, it, this is something we've seen all season uh, that the ninety two car has significantly more pace 
then the 91, but I didn't expect it to be to the tune of a second to a second and a half per lap in the same conditions uh, between the two cars. That to me is is ridiculous. And that kind of shows the difference in their finishing positions with the, the 92 taking the class win, the 91 finishing you know, in, in fifth place and not really challenging. It was really noticeable during the race because I think they had like a split strategy and it, I, th- I think it was the 92 that was chasing down the 91 and it just ate up the gap in a handful of laps mm. and then was right on its bumper and then maybe team orders, maybe it was just a simple overtake and then a couple of laps later it was gone Yeah, just up the road. So maybe a split strategy with more of a fuel save, I don't know, but yeah, it or, was it was ridiculous. Or a or a setup difference as well, uh, p- perhaps because it just looked every single battle the ninety one got involved in. It seemed like it had no teeth, uh, and in the end they got used as a guinea pig to to swap to the slicks in the the second drying period, which I think really allowed the ninety two to nail the cro- the right crossover point because they had that data coming in from the other side of the garage. Um, in the end, though, it was the 92 who won, not just through outright pace, although they were in the box seat uh, with that in the latter stages, but they actually run on a fuel run. They came in, I think, just on the hour mark to the finish and managed to stretch that fuel all the way to the very end, whereas the Aston Martin number 97 car, who was in contention for that battle for the lead, couldn't do the same. So... That is certainly encouraging going into Le Mans to have that extra little bit of fuel saving up your sleeve. Oh, for sure. Um, going an extra lap at Le Mans can make all the difference. Also interesting to note that the 90, that the Ashton team were actually very open on radio about chasing a penalty for 92. Yeah. Um, which it was completely thrown out. I think the stewards were like, ha, no, about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, that one. Yeah, it was a bit of a dick move. But yeah, so I enjoyed the GT Pro battle. It wasn't huge, I don't think, on-track action, but really intriguing end of the race there. And yeah, the Porsche GT team, as you'd expect on a fuel run, just seemed to be the best at it. And it's it's quite interesting that the, the Porsches, despite having similar pace in both the WC and the IMSA competition at the moment, have found a significantly better swathe of results in the WEC while struggling over in IMSA. It's a very mm. sort of mixed bag at the moment between the two uh, outfits. Which IMSA seems to be all about the fuel runs lately. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting that the, the Porsches haven't been able to show their real colours in there. Mm. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts on LM, uh, LMP, uh, GTE Pro, uh, before we push on to the very end? Not for me. Yeah, uh, I'm glad the balance of performance is pretty competitive the auto bop system is working is proving to work well and um hopefully this goes on to le mans we don't have a crap um balance of performance like we've kind of grown to expect over the last three years and uh take it further into next season um with the hypercars I don't necessarily agree that we've had a crap balance of performance at Le Mans, but I, who's I mean... Got a, uh, who's got an anniversary this year? I don't know. Me, my first. Oh, wait, you <laughs> meant in, in, on the race. Hey, it doesn't Le Mans fall, like, the day after your birthday this year, Chris? It goes, it goes birthday, Le Mans, first anniversary. Wow. 
<laughs> there you go. That's after a, like that's, five days. That's a weekend. And lockdown ends just before that as well. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. So Ki- Kiwi's having a good week that week. Oh, I'll take beautiful. a month off work. Oh, good plan. Good plan. Uh, so that was GTE Pro. It was Porsche than the pair of Astons. Are they the Aston Martin holds it the manufacturer championship at the moment, uh, and also with the '95 car, the uh, drivers' championship uh, at the moment. Uh, over over the '92, so that's your your two major players for for the manufacturers' championship. Uh, we'll touch on GTM because I think GTM kind of got lost. Uh, similar to how LMP3 gets lost in an ELMS race, there was just the LMP2 battle was enthralling from start to finish. The the messiness with the weather really changed the shape of things. Uh, and then when there was when there wasn't anything else going on, the GT GT Pro battles were really up front and center. So yeah, GTM kind of got a little bit lost, uh, but it was very clear to see who the quick drivers were in the, in the race and that were the the cars the 80 83 and the 77 car were the really the quick pair and in the end it was the 83 car that had more in the bank come the end of the race despite having the the larger uh handicap the success ballast uh to take another victory i think the story of gtm was people not wanting to win it Oh. Uh, early on, you had the Proton Racing car, and that fell away completely. You yeah. had uh, TF Sport; they fell away, and they came back though. They came back, and they mm. actually ended up finishing on the podium, which was a surprise to me because I didn't really see them throughout much of the race at all. Um, but yeah, I was surprised that the the Project One car struggled so much after being so competitive in the early stages. Yeah. Any um, any particular insight as to why that was? Nothing that I'm aware of. It might have just been the fact the uh, the AM driver went in at that point, and they sort of really fell away. Yeah, eating was kind of a bit off mm. this race for me. In the wet, he was a couple of seconds off. In the dry, he was a couple of seconds off the fastest. Um, and we're not talking of like super bronzes, as it were. That's against Paul Dallalana and um who, who had you know a fair bit of ballast and uh, and i'm not talking as well about success ballast he's quite a chunky boy. um and and yeah so it's kind of a bit off and and especially when you compare it to bahrain where he had an absolutely insane first stint mm. and everyone's sort of bigging him up this is kind of back into what it was originally before that you know it's kind of this is back to normal they had as well 15 kilos of ballast which on the grand scheme of things isn't actually that much when you've got the drivers um (laughs) varying quite a lot but um yes they were a bit off the pace fraga was pretty good but not so consistent um Mm -hmm. i would i was expecting a bit more from him because he's one of those kind of really super silver drivers and i think he's going up to gold next season or well depending this on season but at the end of this season yeah depending on whether or um, not they unfreeze the driver ratings which they've been talking about yes quite a mess and then i think the thing that that really broke the back of the race for the 83 af corsa um Brittany car was the fact that they have 
a pro Ferrari factory driver in Gita World Challenge as their amateur silver. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, in the yeah, if you if you compare their stints, it's just Nicholas Nielsen is going on from strength to strength ever since he got picked up by Ferrari as a as their young pro it's kind of a bit broken as it were because they had as well 15 kilos of success ballast um, but it didn't really make that much of a difference Perodo was still pretty quick himself in the car regardless of ballast so yeah I, I think they are now for the run-in the 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 favorites yeah I, yeah honestly they're the only team you can really look at at the moment because uh again you've done some very nice analysis on uh these these plots for us uh plotting lap time and you compare nicholas nielsen for his silver laps compared to everyone else after five laps he's got a second on the rest of the field and even perodo is arguably the best bronze driver you know compare him to christian reed and agedio uh, perfetti you know they're the the three that really stand out when you look at those plots uh but yeah the silver plot is really what's telling because you, you look at the other uh silvers that they're in contention with you know ross gunn an amr factory driver a young driver uh is two or three seconds well yeah by the end of uh, a stint two or three seconds away from where uh nicholas nielsen is same with charlie eastwood uh felipe fragos that far off the place after 10 laps uh lawrence hoare who is the silver driver in the 56 team project one car was two well, two seconds off the pace or one second off the pace on his fastest lap compared to Nicholas Nielsen and falls off the plot halfway through the uh, the analysis that you put together. So it is really the the silver driver in that instance that is being the point of difference in these teams. And yeah, Nicholas Nielsen is, <laughs> is terrifyingly good, is the truth, uh, for a silver, which he shouldn't be, but he is for now. It shows what you've got to do to be competitive. You know, it's it's not a a class at the at the back where it's all fun and games. You know, it's serious, and you've got to be taking these measures to finding the next young pro factory driver to be able to compete. You know, Lawrence Orr is doing okay, I guess. I don't really follow Super Cup, but I think he's a Porsche Super Cup driver, and you would think picking up a young Porsche Super Cup driver would be enough to be competitive but you know perfetti was the fastest one of the fastest bronzes and they've got a really competitive driver lineup except for the silver the silver's not bad but it's what's making the difference yeah and in gtm with the with the bronze driver requirement with the silver driver requirement as well finding someone who can be your point of difference has proven to be very fruitful and it seems like the the 83 car who by the way collard and perodo themselves are a very good duo adding nielsen to that has shown that they've easily been the the team to beat and if you look at the championship as well they are just head and shoulders above everyone else at the moment uh, to the tune of 12 points uh, ahead of tf sport uh, who, as I said, had a good race to finish third. They were kind of anonymous through the middle and came back. 
Uh, and then if you look to the rest of the field, they're 20 points away. Don't forget, though, TF Sport had a pr- had a pretty bad Bahrain round. Yeah, well, so they, yeah. They've won three races this season, so you can't discount them just yet. This is true. And Charlie Eastwood is probably was the closest to Nicholas Nielsen on, in the Bahrain race. Bahrain race, spa race for the most part. So yeah, they're really showing their their colours and their ability at the moment. Uh, and uh, one final thing I just want to quickly say before we close up on the WEC and just quickly chat about ELMS. Uh, Paul Dallalana, he's not had a happy return to racing at all, has he? Uh, <laughs> no. With with the, the incident at Paul Ricard... Uh, another incident here where he ended up in the gravel trap and brought out the safety car. And uh, did he, the that car also raced at Spa for the ELMS as well, didn't it? And I don't think it did that tremendously. Uh, yeah, hasn't been an ideal run into Le Mans for the, the big Canadian. They, they trying to, you know, the, the, the amateurs, I think there were five entries that did the LMS and they're trying to get either the seat time that they paid for before covid you know for the for the season yeah after rounds were cancelled and stuff like that but yeah i think this has been probably the worst season for him because even way back like he was getting punted by hoshino in lap one at fuji and yeah spins crashes he had the the penalty at paul ricard for taking off the legality panel of the P3. It's kind of not been his year at all. No, not at all. And that's despite taking uh, four podiums this season in WEC as well. So we're saying that uh, saying that he's he's had a poor season, but it's still four podiums, so it can't be too bad. But yeah, not quite the run into Le Mans uh, that you would want. So we've been going on for an hour now. Uh, we'll wrap it up real quick with, we'll just go through quickly the results. AF Corsa from Dempsey Proton from TF Sport. Uh, the 56 ended up in fourth, 88 Dempsey Proton with a few ring-ins in fifth, and then a, a bit more an anonymity down the end of the field. Uh, ELMS this weekend, uh, back to Paul Ricard, Twilight Race uh, this evening. Can anyone beat United Auto Sports? No. Can anyone beat United Auto Sports in P3? No. <laughs> Maybe. It, w- it would certainly look that way, seeing <laughs> as they've taken, I think, three of the possible four class wins so far in the EMS this season. Prototypes. What was that, sorry? Prototypes. Because they aren't doing GT. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Or possible, no. yeah, for, for, for pro- yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. They went to the portion on one and probably win that too. Hey, don't tempt well, them. <laughs> well, they just bought... Who did they just buy? They just bought someone. Uh, yes. Really? So, really? GTE around the corner, potentially. Oh, yes, of course. We're just going to be entering a United Racing dynasty. God damn. Okay. Well, does that mean the... Does that mean I'll lose the, the Evil Empire. Because, <laughs> does that mean because <laughs> team's going to be known as Walker Troy Andrew the United Stracker? Oh, my God. Stop. Stop. <laughs> It'll be the evil empire with tea and crumpets by the end of the season. <laughs> uh, and what about GTE? Uh, yeah, the GTE competition. Uh, we've seen podiums from Iron Lynx and Proton. Uh, 
and AF Corsa and Aston Martin. Uh, who do we think might have the upper hand when we go back to Paul Ricard? If, Question. Honestly, if I'd expect it to go pretty similar to the first race we had at Paul Ricard. So I reckon they'll be between the Porsche and the Kessel Racing team. Yeah, it's pretty fair. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a Saturday night race with the yep. with the twilight. Yep, so it's at two AM our time. Oh bloody hell! Okay, because um, that's uh, echoing what it should have been at Barcelona. So we'll have race threads up tomorrow, uh, assuming that I get this podcast edited and up tonight. A question that I wanted to ask you, Michael, is um, in hindsight with where Europe is right now in terms of second wave of COVID and things like that, Sod's Law, it would have been better to have the 24 hours a couple of weeks ago when the spa round was, because, you know, we've got, we've already had one team with a driver um, test positive and it was a pretty competitive driver. It was Gab- Gabby Albury, uh, a super silver in the Jackie Chan DC racing team. And he had to um, pull out because of quarantining and stuff like that. Um, I foresee this to be happening at least once more. And we're going to have probably some late um, adjustments to the driver lineups. And also, let's not forget the potential of quarantine. Because if there is a week's worth of quarantine, that affects travel from um, drivers competing around the world. And we talk a lot about clashes being on the same weekend. Well, now we've got potential of quarantine. I'm, I'm not quite sure on the French um, guidelines or laws at the moment, but we're going to have clashes from consecutive weekends because you've got to make sure that you are in France before the weekend before yeah so that affects um gt world challenge europe sprint which is the big one dtm asian gt super gt for example they're all on the weekend before and to be able to qualify or be at qualifying then these drivers are going to have to um pull out of their respective regional championships and you know it's going to be hard to find uh, replacements. Gabriel Aubrey's replacement was pretty straight swap with Ryan Cullen coming in from ELMS Dragon Speed. But for Lamont, it's different. Yeah. The drivers have to do the safety tests, the simulator work. It's not a straight swap. So I think there are going to be some casualties from the, the um, entry list, maybe because there aren't enough drivers that are qualified that have done the the simulator work in the last couple of years. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, bit of a, I, I don't know, not quite a rant, but yeah, a bit not of really a, a question. Yeah, well, I mean, your, your concerns, I think, around the timing of the event in September are, are valid. They've certainly, I, I haven't been keeping on top of the, the worldwide situation because I, it's been too much of an onslaught of information to me to really keep on top of it. But I, I think we were going to run into this sort of situation regardless of when it was, because it's been so unpredictable uh, and it's been constantly changing. And it just so happens that 
now is the time where things are beginning to to resurface and uh, problems are beginning to arise again. Uh, the quarantining situation is certainly going to throw everything through a loop. We've already just provisionally looking at the the entry list. We've already lost three cars uh, from a total entry list, so we're down from sixty two to fifty nine. If more drivers or teams encounter cases which get into their bubbles and require teams to pull out or quarantine or that sort of thing, it could lead to a very mixed grid, not only of, of cars, but of teams, of drivers, of nationalities. It could it could end up with, if, like for example, if, if someone in the Toyota garage uh, acquires a case then all of a sudden we could see Toyota pull out of Le Mans it could it could be it, it could just be a random mess of an event at the end of the day uh, I certainly hope not uh, but it's certainly a concern as well uh, I, I think there has been at least in my part of the world there has been significant resistance to grant exceptions to the quarantining rules uh, especially uh, you know especially for people who aren't essential travelers uh, who don't need to be moving around. And you could argue that Le Mans is not an essential event, especially with no spectators. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's certainly, certainly a mixed one. I mentioned the drivers that have to not be rookies, as it were. Uh, and in, in um, the Le Mans regulations, a rookie is someone who's been away for, let's say, four years i don't know the, the number but oh, um, five years five years uh there we go so who 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 could drive for toyota then that's driven for them in the last five years that doesn't drive for them now that could be a nice substitute fernando alonso alex verts oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> just just riding that alonso train as far as we can go he's coming back oh please don't <laughs> oh don't open that door again uh, was that was that entire preamble just a setup for an Alonso to Le Mans joke? No, but it, <laughs> it's it's what came to me. So. Serendipity. Uh, thank you very much for joining me, Ollie and Chris. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us in the chat tonight, and we'll hand it over now to Austin and Chris for their catch up of IMSA action live at Road America. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, uh, everyone. This is Endurance Chat, and a special edition of Endurance Chat. This is a live edition of Endurance Chat, in person, at location, at one of my favorite, if not the favorite of most Americans, racetrack in North America, Road America, in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. And with me today, I have the pleasure of our first like Americanized live in-person interview with two people from actually endurance chat from the US. Chris Washer 97. Chris, how are you, sir? It's uh blessed to be here in SCCA Cat in the Kettle Majors weekend. <laughs> the event that we're going to absolutely talk nothing about. Yeah. We were we I mean, you were looking forward to this uh to this race weekend all of two days, <laughs> right, Chris? Yeah, all of two days. I, IMSA NASCAR they don't compare to this. I mean, we just had a Dodge Neon flip in turns one and two. Some spec racer foreheads just jump over each other. There's no video boards of the track. We can't see it. No, we're all we're all going yeah. off of rumors. And yeah, it, this it's... is just 
rumors. It recants the days of old where you never had video projection or those newfangled technologies. Y'all, yeah. You always just heard it over the uh, the loudspeaker that they're like, car 22 is on fire. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's great. Okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, so um, we're, uh, I guess none better, I guess to recap the IMSA, which is what we're going to do here today, as mm-hmm. the title will suggest in, you know, with our podcast for this one, uh, that we're going to recap some of the uh, events that happened, which happened here. And uh, you were attending of that one, and I attended uh, the one in Sebring, uh, and the one we already talked about Daytona. So we'll recap those. We'll talk about uh, the upcoming rounds, um, some schedule changes, obviously, with some of uh, some of the states hosting some of these rounds, not being able to even host some of these uh, or allow some of these events and uh, organizers to even organize these events in general. So we have to move these events. So we'll talk about that as well as any of the news and notes from the last month or two. From IMSA, which has basically been like you almost want to have news, but then you almost don't, because like if it's news now, it's probably gonna be bad news or like someone dropping out. Or, yeah, because yeah. all the all of the COVID stuff, or but it, but then you don't want to have no news because then you're like, okay, well, there, you know, that's, do we have anybody coming in next year? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you want you want like tempted, like just really, really just gentle news, like everything's sort of okay, you know, like so, uh, and we'll kind of start that way. Both of the races had decent uh, car counts, and really, mm-hmm. that is the main takeaway, I think, from IMSA, at least that their main core, which you could say versus SRO versus VLN versus ACO, don't have the amount of draw, potentially, for cars in North America to like go to these events. And it's mm-hmm. really nice to see that it's only dropped, what, 20%? Sometimes thirty mm-hmm. percent. That kind we of thing. We still have about around more than thirty cars overall in the entry list. It's right. Something you know, the other GT series in the states, is, you know, can't say that. So <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever is going on with the uh, with the SRO stuff uh, stateside is. It, I feel bad for that because they they always it, it felt like they they should have gotten more love from a lot of different things, and because of now all the title changes too, with Blancpain now leaving, they're kind of just kind of like in flirting a little bit in the wind here, not knowing too much well, what is going to happen. Well, and, and the fact that the, the main class of that championship, you had like Volvo sedans and Cat- Cadillacs <laughs> and, like 10 years ago, and yeah. now they try to make it more GT3. Yeah, and yeah. kind of raised the price up, so now you only yeah. get, you know, seven full-time GT3 cars. Oh, man. And they, I had, mean, you know, they had to add, they have the GT Sports Club, but there's like the GT2 stuff, and then like an old Audi R8 they had, Sonoma, mm-hmm. which dominated, yeah. As made some would. people mad, <laughs> but you only got like I think twelve entries overall. Yeah, with, with that, so mm-hmm. you're not looking too good. But so I'm just glad to say that IMSA we have more than like twelve GT3 cars on our grid. Yeah, and then <laughs> working your way down the through Prototype Challenge, which I think had over twenty um, from all the rounds um, that they were doing. They had thirteen here at Road America, but that still produced, okay, okay. produced a pretty decent race. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. I think they had a bit more at Sebring, so that's why I thought it was probably skewed more higher. But yeah, I mean, even uh, Pilot Challenge, good good car mm-hmm. counts um, as well. So like that is a great sign in terms of at least at least from where we're at now. And I mean, I feel like out of any sport that needs to exist and keep running, it's like it's motorsport. And I'm glad to see like they're like they're able to continue running and stay running so far. So we'll hopefully see after once the season's over with all the schedule changes and because of the mm-hmm. location too. It's more on the East Coast, and most of these teams, I think our majority, like a bunch of them are based on, like, east of the Mississippi, I think. 
Uh, yeah. Like, you know, if we wanted mm. to do the old NASCAR-like adage of where all they are based in Charlotte <laughs> and then they're one out in Denver and all that other stuff. But, I mean, that could be a, another, like, you know, we're trying to think of cost advantage for a lot of these teams, too, because it is tight budgets and well, the IMSA does charge a lot. Yeah, even you know. if there was teams out west, they're kind of screwed anyway because most of the states out west, they don't allow any. The California, right. they just... Uh, um, yeah, like Seca, in, Laguna Seca just had had to cancel IndyCar and IMSA. WeatherTech Raceway, excuse or, me. WeatherTech Raceway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. TM. <laughs> so. Not sponsored. <laughs> Cooper McNeil's having us at gunpoint. <laughs> well, okay, so you uh, did you, you watch Sebring on TV, right? Yes, I did. Okay, so let's let's do that. Let's start with our the person who saw it on, on TV first. <laughs> How did you like Sebring? It wasn't uh, wasn't too exciting, yeah. i got to be honest. Like, the start of it, I think... We had the Porsches bumping into each other, but other than that, I don't think if there was battles, TV direction wasn't really showing them. Okay. It was kind of like, eh. Yeah. I was no. like, where's, when's IndyCar starting? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, that, that is probably the one thing I will say. And I know, I know, uh, Flood is probably like chuckling to himself because, you know, he has, he has this weird, he has this weird dislike of Sebring. And so to hear probably you, and then he will hear me say that it was also somewhat of a boring race. Uh, he'll also laugh too when I'll say that I think the track is way better when it's more traffic, more cars, like exactly, probably yeah. forty plus, and then that track gets super interesting. I think that might be the same with any track. That's true, <laughs> but I feel like at Sebring though, it's just kind of like, um, especially if you have the right setup and know how to kind of handle the bumps or like how your car handles the bumps correctly. Like there is a huge, you you just see huge gap separations, and I feel like. The traffic plays so much into that into that track more, especially thick traffic, than you would you be have at uh, you know like mid Ohio or something like that. Well, so, yeah, we had like I a what, twenty car difference compared to a regular like twelve like hour half, race. It was like a half. Yeah, it was, like it was half. half the grid basically. That was that was not there. So, but yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. The only thing was that like I mean, to I really enjoyed how Sebring did the whole like you know response to the you know pandemic thing where with the five thousand people and they're they all like Florida access. residents. Right. Only Florida residents, even though like you can have a Florida resident buy the ticket and just give it to somebody else. They, I don't believe they were checking IDs or if you are again, like you could just, you know, like there was easy ways around it, that kind of thing. But still, like people were being respectful about it. And like the places that you could go, it was limited, but it wasn't like that bad. And I don't know, like it, I thought it was going to be way worse just weather wise. And it ended up not being that at all. There was like a, a weather front that was a little bit north that was pushing west. And for some reason, it, like, sucked all the humidity out. So we had, like, it was, like, I think 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and that's usually where it's just terribly hot, especially in the middle of Florida. And anybody that knows or has been in Florida in the summer knows it's absolutely terrible. But, like, that was probably the best weather that I've been to at Sebring in a long time. It was just so good. Like, mid-70s, little humidity, slight breeze, cloudy, and you had a a two-and-a-half-hour race. It was so great. Um... But, yeah, I mean, the, what you weren't seeing battle-to-battle fighting. I mean, you weren't seeing a lot. Of, like, at the initial part, you saw, a, you know, that Mazda try to overtake a little bit, kind of heading into the hairpin. But beyond that, yeah, it was just the race settled in, and the favorites kind of, like, had their way with it. So, I don't know. It was it was a mad race. But I did take a first-time race fan, and he, he enjoyed the hell out of it. And I think that was a great – I think a two-hour, 40-minute race is a good – race to take like a first time fan to it's just like mm-hmm. it's just enough especially if it's like a boring race like that for it to be like all right like yeah like all right yeah it was fine it was fine it was, 
kind of boring, yeah. but you know, like it's fun. Like we're good. Like yeah, we're, we're gonna having go now. fun. Like, yeah, this is yeah, great. That ten now second gap to the lead. That, that's, yeah. uh, oh, it's yeah. a finish. Oh well, that, like it happened so quick. You know. <laughs> so I enjoyed it from that aspect, but yeah, it. Um, I wish there was more competition in just like GTLM or DPI because it was just it didn't. It felt like the uh, Cadillacs still were just better at Sebring, which they always seem to be right now. Yeah, it's like Daytona and Sebring, they're just super, super good. Uh, except for fr- somehow Mazda winning at Daytona, so that doesn't fit my theory. But, <laughs> but yeah, I um, I had a great time at it, despite the fact that yeah, I agree with you, it was boring mm-hmm. race. So, well, you think you you said the only one on the Saturday, correct? Yes, the only one. Friday on was a monster. Well, you didn't even get a really a race in for the pilot challenge on yeah. that Friday. So yeah, I was gonna yeah yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, they had the uh, Porsche uh, Porsche the prototype challenge, and then they had the uh, uh, pilot sport. I think they had, yeah, they had the Michelin Pilot Challenge on that Friday. That was the only race that day. Then they had Prototype Challenge before the the main IMSA race on that Saturday. 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yep. We were going to go to that, and it just ended up not happening. Um, My buddy just kind of, and so we ended up going later on in the afternoon. I'm kind of bummed that I didn't go because that was a crazy race. They were just nuts out there like the prototype challenge guys like they were just like spinning out like running into each other it was it was awesome it was a great entertaining race but there was I, just a lot of like driver talent issues <laughs> in that race i've always kind because i think last year i watched some of them and there's like so lots of gaps far you know between the cars and you know the, the finish was within you see look at sebring with all the wrecks that happened and i wrote america which will dwell in deeper fucking late race uh, let's bleep that out the late race controversy with uh, the checkered flag falling a lap later. Mm-hmm. It's like a Trans Am 2 at Mid-Ohio thing where they have to revert. It's like, okay. Yeah, all right. Like... <laughs> Wait, we got the checkered flag. Oh, that was the checkered flag. All right, yeah. But, no, I mean, like, so, yeah, I mean, beyond that, uh, the number 31 Whalen Engineering uh, Cadillac wins, uh, as I was kind of basically hinting at there. So, I mean... It was not really a challenge. I mean, they, I don't think they, they led everything except like two or three laps. Yeah, there wasn't no battle lead or anything at all. Yeah. Um, No like pits, you know, unusual pit stop strategy that, you know, that was going on. Only one safety car. Yeah. For that was with an LMP2 conking out. Um, which I have a funny story about the, uh, the end result for LMP2 because that's basically it. We don't need to talk about LMP2 too much anymore. Uh, it was just like that. That's what they caused the safety car by a car cocking out. And then they refired it. Control delete refired it. Uh, and then that, ha- that caused the only real drama in the race because GTD was a Lexus show. Mm. And, and again, they have not really nerfed the Lexus yet, uh, noticeably at all for 2020 outside of the, uh, was it post Daytona? I think they, they did something. They did, they did a BOP change after Daytona that might have nerfed the Lexus a little bit, but it wasn't enough because they just continue to kill everybody. But yeah, GTLM during that safety car, uh, went for pit stops and they, uh, touched, or they touched their noses a bit and, uh, yeah, had some contact in the pits, which basically caused both the cars to take themselves out of contention with, (laughs) Uh, one of the cars having to come basically sit there and get their nose replaced. So they went like a couple, either a lap or two down or they had to get a bunch of some stuff fixed. And then the sister car, which clipped the nose and ripped that off, basically then had a slow tire, which then cut the tire at like the worst spot, but then also the best spot of the track, which it's turn one. So you have to go all the way around because you cut your, your right rear tire. But they like, 
uh, I don't I don't know who was driving. I might, it might have been Tandy, but it was like coming out of just enough out of turn one, and uh, he basically was he managed to like save it from hitting the wall, and that was probably the save of the race for me at Sebring. But that was the only real exciting moment was basically like that caution period. Porsche contact and then the Porsche cutting a tire and almost hitting the wall at turn one at like 150 miles an hour. But yeah, still, those Porsches are crazy, man. Those Porsche <laughs> drivers are nuts. They're just, they go crazy. But uh, yeah, that's that's about all I can really say about Sebring. I mean, I think it was a decent filler race. Like, it's something, you know, you know they, the, like it, it would have filled been the Long calendar. Beach, you know, it would have been a mid Ohio. So, like, that kind of sucks. But um, what can you do? You know? Yeah. I don't know. It's a one. It's a one in a whatever shot of basically getting a race like that at Sebring ever. So we will probably never see a race like that again. So I don't know. I think for the novelty of it, I enjoy going to it. So, uh, but yeah. Uh, next up, we went to your, my former stomping ground. Your basically mm-hmm. your stomping ground. Yeah. Um, Road America in Elkhart Lake, my uh, my home state, and um, yeah, I. Uh, I've, I've gone to a few of these. I've gone to a few of these. I've gone when, when, when there's some Nissans. I've gone when there's some DPs. So how was the uh, how was the COVID uh, Road America experience for IMSA weekend uh, for you, sir? Um, apart from, I think the paddock was closed off, but you could still kind of walk through it, look at the cars. They just had uh, little um, gates. Like, like the stuff you see like the, at the um, ends of the apron of like a wrestling match, those things mm-hmm. are blocking off the cars and team personnel. But other than that, uh, I went on the Saturday and Sunday. I went and caught, uh, let's see, I think the first race on the Saturday was the uh, Prototype Challenge, and that was the one where there's an interesting fuel strategy where I think the leader at the time, they pitted a little bit earlier because they thought the checkered flag was going to come out like right at the elapsed time. So basically, when the elapsed time came, like the clock ran out when they were on like the bottom of the hill on the front stretch. And they didn't wave the checkered. And so the leader ran out of fuel and it caused this big kind of jumble up, up at, the, at the front. Mm. And they, later on in the day, they, you know, because I think the r slash WEC Discord caught it. Mm. Or G, um, or Diapo did, or some, some sports car Discord caught it. It's like, this is where time elapsed. This is where the leader was. They screwed him. <laughs> oh, that's so crazy. And then they reverted to the last lap. If you caught like Trans Am Mid Ohio this year, same sort of situation. Where yeah. Went one lap extra than they should have. Wow. Then, yeah, then there's, there's Porsche Cup, which it was Porsche Cup, you know, big gaps. It was a decent filler. Then you had um, the Pilot Challenge, which I was on the inside of turn one for most of the race. And it was a, it was a decent race. You, I believe there's an Aston Martin that was leading uh, for most of the race. I can't remember what happened to it, but then um, I don't even remember who won the race overall. <laughs> um... Uh, was, that wet that was under yellow because of a Oh that's right, a there was a huge crash as a Mercedes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was actually right there in that turn six, seven, and eight complex yeah, yeah, yeah. where the Marilla I believe it was the, the Marilla Mercedes. It went off the, the Marilla Mercedes actually a lap before. It went off sort of out in the grass and dirt a bit, but kept on going. Then the next lap later, it did it again, but it kept control went whatever. Then there's that camera the team name. But I think Billy Johnson at the, that the Mustang? No, no, it was, no, it was, drives, a, it was a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, who he's Billy drive. Johnson car. I don't know if he was in the car at the time. But he basically followed the line. But there's like a dip. There's like a there's like the curb. So in between the curb and the track, there's like the grass. But there's like a dip where kind of like there's like a bump on the entering the track. 
I think that's what, what he did was he caught that and he got loose and spun it and crashed head on to that concrete wall. There's actually a big crack in the wall right where he Man. just debris scattered everywhere. That's, um, that's crazy. There's been some there's been some pretty pretty big hits the, this this weekend too. I mean, wasn't there uh, wasn't there a, a hit out or not this weekend, but this is yet this past year for just uh, for racing here. I mean, wasn't there an incident out by the Kink too? Or oh uh, yeah, last week um, they had the Trans Am series for the NASCAR weekend. Actually, Justin Algar did a NASCAR race on the outside of turn two. He smashed the wall pretty hard, mm-hmm. and then in Trans Am two they had a junk in turn five. That caused a bit of damage. Yeah. That was the first red flag of the race. Then Sam Mayer, which is a young and up-and-comer NASCAR guy, who races like in the ARCA series and some truck races. He, he's from Wisconsin, you know, hometown boy. He was going into the kink. I didn't watch the replay of it, but I can't. I can't remember if he just hit the kink like head-on or something, and or hit. But his car caught fire and just burned to the ground. <laughs> and that that was, it, I believe, it was like a ten-car like crash at the kink. Oh my! Yeah, they had to send like all ambulance, whatever. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, they don't have a video, I'm sure, right? uh, They have an onboard from San Mayor's car. The the race wasn't broadcasted. Okay. okay. Yeah. Still though, man, I'd like to see that. It's kind of like reminiscent of like the the, that historic wreck of like 2005 or six or whatever about the front stretch when they like piled up at the front stretch uh, starting line. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah. Um. Do you remember? Oh. Have you ever seen that one? I don't think so, but oh. there's actually like a K&M car yeah. a couple weekends ago. It was like he during historic, that, but it flipped, yeah. flipped right in the front stretch. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this past few weeks at Road America has been... Uh, that's what I'm saying, fucking, man. It's, it's been, been a biohazard, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's what I... That, it's just kind of like this year has been pretty nuts for Rex here. I mean, it's just usually it's been... I mean, like, it is... It, it'll bite you. It will. But, like, it's just... It's such a, like... I don't know. It, it's, a, it's such a natural track that it's easy, I feel like, for if you're a driver to get into a rhythm with it, like, to kind of get your limit, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah, it's just it's weird to see so many, like, very, I would say, spectacular incidents. And I would say the Merc in Turn 7, which we're very close to, like, where we're recording this, uh, where that hit, that was a big hit. The, obviously, the Can-Am wreck was. That Trans-Am pileup, that was huge. And then we're going to get into Sunday, or I think it was Sunday when the IMSA, uh, when the big boys, WeatherTech yeah. guys went out. Um, you know, we had, there was even, that would be like a, um, and I don't know, this this might be a specific, this might be this might be too deep of a cut. This might be like a NASCAR Nixon, like, mashup <laughs> uh, edition of the IMSA, like, when they basically waved uh, everybody red because it was raining so much. Because they had an incident out at uh, the kink, and one of the Cadillacs, like, aquaplane basically off track like right near all the safety vehicles and like skidded in between the safety vehicles <laughs> oh man i was like oh that is like that is classic that like weird uh sports car like imsa mashup kind of video you would just see that clip in it too so but yeah how was how was sunday did you guys know that uh that there was going to be a lot of potential weather actually i believe on the friday i was in the group group chat and discord and i was like hey Look at look at this weather. I think they called for thirty percent. It was eighty. It was actually eighty percent chance of rain at the time. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, scattered thunderstorms, like, you know, just in case, whatever. So I brought an umbrella, and me and from the guys from the um, Oppo Discord, we they had a campsite in turn three. Well, the unfortunate fact was we left all of our stuff at the campsite, and overall during the course of the race, we naturally found ourselves up here in turn seven. And that's when the heavens open. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
didn't help, you know. We had no car, no golf cart, whatever. We had to walk down there. Um, I think at one point you just had to shelter in some trees. Hail was starting to come down, like 60 <laughs> miles per hour winds. Yeah, I, I was, was just soaked. I was getting messages <laughs> like that too. Yeah, I was like, it's hailing. I'm like, what? That is nuts. Because, yeah, I mean, uh, from my from the TV perspective, from when I was watching in Florida, you know, we'll do point-counterpoint. Uh, I was um, I was worried for you guys, but I was 100 <laughs> percent uh, like uh, not not enjoying it, but just being you know being glad I was not there because I've been at some really race uh, really wet race weekends and also some really volatile weather race weekends, which are really not fun. So especially with hail, dude, that would be that's kind <laughs> of like scary. Small, dude. it was very very small. Still though, man, like, like I when you like see I hail, see, that's not good. Like, like that's it, never a good sign. <laughs> it was like there's like. His shirt, well, you know, the shirt was like kind of folded up and stuff. And some guys like, "Is it hailing?" It's like, "I don't think so." And I see like a little, <laughs> little ice, little ice nugget, like just in a fold of his shirt. It's like, "Oh yeah, it's hailing." Oh man, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and it was a so I mean, so before the uh, the rain, I would say it was a pretty decent race. There was some decent strategy, at least for like, uh, oh, yeah. for for, uh, for fuel economy, at least for for uh, you know pit stop strategy, that kind of thing. And I, I think the rain kind of came in very suddenly too. It wasn't like it was like we saw the front come in. It 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 built kind of up quickly. I thought like when I when I was looking at it, it didn't really look like anything. But when they switched to radar, when they were doing it on the broadcast, it kind of looked like it was going like boom, like it was like it kind of mm-hmm. blowing up really quickly. So I don't know. I mean, were you guys like I said, were you guys really expecting rain like at the we start? We were so basically we're still at turn seven and we noticed some uh, lightning flashes over to the south of us oh, in okay. uh, Plymouth. Okay. Um, and then we we're like, oh, that's to the south of us. So we checked the radar. It's like, oh yeah, there's like this big like rain pocket to the south of us. Then like ten minutes later, like the clouds are kind of getting darker. We're keeping an eye on it, but then all of a sudden we just start feeling raindrops. Like, oh, oh, that's just like. Just started. It was like a plague <laughs> just, of frogs just bearing. The race is still green, so like, oh yeah, we looked at. Yeah, I believe it was. Wasn't it the thirty-one that crashed? And then it was the um, Meyer Shank Acura that went off in turn one. Yeah, yeah. Um, then like a Porsche also crashed in turn. One? I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that after yeah, that whole LMP2, thing. Two. Uh, There's an Acura Penske LMP2 yep. collision that was on the front stretch, and then yeah, the the uh, Porsche GTLM the leader. Spun. All the way in the wall, I think? No, went, well, spun, recovered, okay. but was like, but hit like the T1 wall, but it that, like, that's touched what, it. Yeah, that's what I thought it. I saw didn't, it. Didn't do any damage, but, but like, the Acura was the lead. smashed. The like, Acura, the rear end of the Acura was, was yeah. toast. It got rear-ended by the LMP2, so like, I don't know who that was. And that was at the point where it started to get like pretty heavy. Yeah. And we were like, oh, it's green. Like, okay, we'll just, you'll stay. Well, it's green flag <laughs> racing. You don't really care. Right. But then all of a sudden, you know, yellow and... I was like, oh, well, yeah, we should probably then, go. Then it was red, dude. I've, I never. Light, probably lightning strikes in the area as well. But I've, I've never seen a timed event do that, though. It's very interesting, and I, oh, I do yeah. like it, but like, you know, it, it's kind of like the green, white, checkered NASCAR thing in a weird <laughs> way. So, but I've never really seen it instituted until now, I don't think. I don't, I don't ever remember them red flagging nope. it at like the 30 minute mark. And I actually do like that as a, as and a, and they add, point. and they, Basically, put thirty minutes on the clock instead of letting the clock run down. Yeah, and just leave it like that. I think that's a great. That's a great well, idea. Or a, they started the race so it. early. It's like no. It's like okay, yeah, yeah. do it. It was like, <laughs> it, was like yeah, what, it was eleven a.m. local time when they had the green flag. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was a great move. So um, and that kind of still, you know, even though it definitely did screw over Mazda because they they had made a good strategy and 
having the two cars and having that kind of pace, I think they did do some sort of a split strategy or something that they were trying at least, like to stay out when they saw rain coming and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And to not, you know, kind of reward them with that kind of stinks. But at the same time, we got more racing, which I thought was great. And that was um, a really good race up front. Like, it seems yeah. like the that balance of performance between the DPIs, if Cadillac was maybe pushed up a little bit, but not too much, they would all be on, like, equal pace. Because yeah. Mazda's and Acura's are basically, like, right there. Yeah, uh, yes. Cadillac's are a little bit they behind, but... They all the time. Oh, yeah. It's the Cadillacs that just seem to, like... They're, they're either like, way behind or way up peggable. front. They're not peggable. They just, like, <laughs> kind of, so they're like, you, we will not be tamed, you know. We'll, you'll either, like, peg us back too much or we will be overpegged. We cannot be, like, in the middle. But, yeah, the Mazas and Acura's always, like, when I was at Daytona and Sebring and then I rode America, they're always fighting. Mm -hmm. And it, it feels like that's the right baseline BOP right now. And it's the Cadillac that keeps screwing this up because it really does feel like a lot of the GTLM stuff exists in that in those two DPI cars. Uh, or like those two like types of cars there as the Cadillacs just seem to be off off balance. That's my take. I don't know. Uh, because yeah, I love I love the Acura and Mazda fights. I love them. They're like they feel like ALMS, they feel like Grand Am. That feels genuine like old school American prototype racing to me in those two guys, like those two teams fighting each other. But like the Cadillacs just I don't know. There's something there's something weird about mm. those Cadillacs, so I don't trust them. No, I don't, I don't trust, trust those, I don't trust, I don't trust them either. Natural aspect V8s <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, overall, um, obviously a much better race than C-Ring, but how did mm -hmm. you enjoy the two hours and 40 minute race, which it should have been a six hour race? I cannot believe. We need a six hour race. They didn't do the, they just didn't put the Glen here. Just do the yeah. six hour race here. God, Wisconsin just, literally has no guidelines. <laughs> we will do this. If it's, it's, if it's the only thing we do as sports car fans, we will somehow make it that they will do a one-off event, like race of a thousand years type deal at Road America for like an ice good long endurance race because it deserves yeah. it. It needs it needs multiple pit stops, an elongated strategy, multiple drivers. You wear the cars <clears throat> down. Like it needs that kind of a race here. I think the only I think the only way we're gonna get that though is probably SRO. I think like a six mm -hmm. hour, eight hour race here. We start at like ten o'clock in the morning. Oh man. Oh man. But I, yeah. Just like just even thinking about it's ten to twelve hour race, like it would go like ten to ten. Oh my god. I would oh. just I would just night racing oh my I would pay a hundred dollars for that. Yeah, are you kidding me? Just to just to watch it and again, if they only did it once, if somehow they got whatever authority it may be to do it. And they got it here for like a 12 hour, and God forbid a 24 hour race. Oh, oh my God. Oh, don't. Oh, man. All right. Anyway. Camping is booked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. There's going to be two booked immediately for sure. But yeah, uh, it was a great race. So yeah. Um, so that Mazda did not win. No. Nope. Uh, they had, they probably should have though. It, yeah. I mean, they should have at least really, I mean, obviously now 2020, but like uh, hindsight 2020, but they should have definitely had one of the Mazda's pit when all of the other Cadillacs were pitting because they mm -hmm. still were, yeah, I think, behind the number 10, I believe, at I the believe, time. And I believe when they were going to restart the race, it was still on slicks. One of the Mazdas were. Yeah, and, the leading Mazda was yeah. still on slicks, and then the other Mazda was buried in the back, but because they waited until it went to safety car, and then they pit, I mm -hmm. think. So everybody else had pit. So even if, like, the number 10 had already had gotten lucky, whatever – but if they had just pit the moment that everybody else started to pit, they still would have either like lost, they would have lost that position, which I think they were either in second or third. I think they were in second because they had passed the Acura. So they would have lost it to the 10 at least and maybe another Cadillac. But 
you had the pay, like you were the fat, you, like you, they clearly were the fat at the at the point of the field. So you you got to assume like you can pass those guys, you, know, you can get around them. So, but they just they they just did not do that, and it didn't work out for them, unfortunately. But hey, that's the racing gods for you sometimes, and yeah. But that paved the way for another Cadillac win, though. So, I think, right? I, no, 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 no. The, uh, I, I think it was the numbers. Oh, that was, yeah, it was the sister car. It was, yeah. it was number six. It was number six, not the, uh, or was it, uh, yeah, it was the Ricky Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that would have been the number six. Number seven, actually. Or, uh, yeah. That's catching up. Because the six, I believe, had an incident. Yeah, the six was the front uh, stretch it was, incident. I can't remember. And... It was trying to, it went on the, way on the inside just after turn five trying to pass the lap car, and then it got clipped mm-hmm. uh, in the rear end. And a piece of bodywork is kind of trailing, so they go in the pits. That was fighting with the Mazda. But then, <clears throat> yep. but then it was its race was retired during the incident before the red flag mm-hmm. uh, with, with the uh, LMP2 in the front stretch during wet conditions. So Montoya was, like, slowing down and got plowed into in the rear. So, But, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, here I'm thinking, like, Cadillac it was dominating. No. Uh, yeah, the Acura, because I and then I remember the post-race interview now. So it's like, oh, it's all <laughs> coming back to me very, very vividly now that I'm here. As we're uh, listening to a hill climb or an autocross. Yeah, SCCA uh, autocross. Yeah, They're doing that a, in conjunction with the races here. Yeah, so we got all kinds of good uh, good racing noises. Um, but yeah, it was it, overall, I think it was a great race weekend here. Um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, I enjoyed it just from watching it on TV because you had a dry race at Road America, which was fantastic with traffic, um, a wet race. Um, mm-hmm. A crazy white race, and then it was a drying track sort of ish. That's actually race. downpouring right at the very end. At I, the very that, end again, that kind of didn't help the situation at the kink. I think that's nope. probably what caused it. Is that <laughs> no rain? Yes, that was exactly it. Um, and yeah, which then basically put out the yellow flag and checkered flag pretty much at the same time. It was the final lap of the race, yep. and the leader, I believe, the leader was just rounding out turn three, heading down to turn five when they decided, they decided to throw the yellow. Yeah. And even under uh, heading back to the checkered flag, we had a Cadillac that went flying off. I think it was it might have been the uh, Mustang sampling uh, Cadillac that went off at the kink when they were like uh, working. A couple of rescue vehicles mm-hmm. were near a car that went off, and that was I know the incident I was referring to there. So it was just kind of like man, <laughs> like like I remember a couple laps um, earlier, the JDC Miller car. I was at turn three at the time. The JDC Miller car went off. It recovered, and there's like the only Audi in the, in the GTD class. Can't remember the team name, but it also went off. So we had a couple people off turn three. I don't know if the cameras caught it or not, but they they went off. Then you had that incident at the kink with the uh, Porsche and BMW, which they were, I believe they're like top two in class at the time. They were fighting for the whatever. Then yeah. that's when the Corvette kind of like snuck by and got another three in a row for Corvette. <laughs> Yeah, and that was uh, Porsche and BMW. I, th- I think Corvette were not really. Uh, they were in- kind of like I think it was like Porsche. It was like Porsche Corvette, then the two BMWs, and then like another Porsche and Corvette and somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. I think the BMWs are kind of like in a sandwich there, but yeah. they're still pretty. They're contending for the win. Mm-hmm. They were they were up there. Yeah, but the Cor- Corvette was kind of like a. Like, they, yeah, they, they weren't, uh, I don't think it was, they were worthy of having that one-two result, but hey, they were there at the end, obviously, especially when the Porsche is going to spin out at turn one and give up the class lead, essentially, yep. um, which uh, is really unfortunate, and it's just, it's like, it's just such a gut-wrenching, uh, when, since they're leaving, you kind of, you kind of want them just to kind of 
win to keep motivating Corvette and also for them to have a good send-off, kind of how the, the the Viper team had, the SRT Viper team did, sort of-ish. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, they just haven't had really any, any amount of good luck. I mean, and, or if, if anything, you know, this is like a 180 from last year, right? When they're just <laughs> completely dominant. Now this year is like, we can't win. Yeah. It's the same. <laughs> it's basically the same car. Um, and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be unfortunate because I would have loved to hear these cars with the new, uh, update, uh, exhaust update. I don't think we they had them at Road America. They don't. No. I know, but I don't know if they're going to have them like uh, mm. later on this year. And then, it might be just for the maybe for the for the WEC cars. Yeah, but then are we going to be having those here next year? Hmm. Well, not, not here, here, but North America. Yeah, least, maybe. I, mean, I don't know. So that that might be a uh, something to think about. Just because it's like, or I'm sure Porsche at some point will send some. They might. They might do. GTI they might do the Rolex. They might do the Rolex. Yeah, I they mean, might do any. NAC rounds. Yeah. That would be, I would like that. I hope something like that exists because that would be great. Um, but yeah, anything else to really say about Road America? Because it sounds like we're about to get into news and news and notes and stuff here. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Pretty much it. So if you ever have the chance to come by here, you can pretty much go to any part of the track. Yeah. Like, and like even the kink now, which is basically was probably even five years ago, was like virtually un- unaccessible. You can walk across this bridge to the outside. Of that short shoot between, um, was it turn nine, the carousel and the kink? Then there's like a little pathway on the inside of the track where you can kind of like view the apex of the kink. And there, you know, there's think of clearing down trees, and that's a new thing that they're doing. So if you ever have the chance, especially since you know they have IndyCar, NASCAR, you know, IMSA, and then like a bunch of historic and SCCA stuff and bikes, pick your poison and come down, and it's just an enjoy- enjoyable, good time. I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I we uh, both have total homerism um, to this track, but uh, yeah, it is probably my favorite track of all time. And I, as much as you know, Sebring as as a event in the twelve hours of Sebring is probably my favorite. Uh, the track, this is my favorite track. Uh, it's just, it's just a just such a gorgeous track. Mm-hmm. The landscape is amazing. The way it undulates through the Kettle Moraine oh. Valley and hills. Uh, you know, doing a little Paul Page trying, you know, adjective, adverb, uh, word salad. But yeah, I, I think they're doing really, really sensible upgrades to the track. My only gripe is the ticket prices. So yeah, you know, it's 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 a little. If you if you're gonna just buy a spectator, cheap, but if you're gonna be a spectator for like the big race weekends, make sure you buy your tickets in advance because they towards like a week and a half of race weekend they up the price, you know, ten twenty bucks. So you have to you have to get their advance deal. That way you're not, you know, getting screwed more on ticket prices. Yeah, I mean, or, I mean, if you're in the area and can think about doing a season pass, that's actually pretty cost of That's actually too. what I'm going to think about doing next yeah, year. I mean, it's about, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, I wouldn't say half cost, but it's close to that. I mean, off if you just pay it up front and get all passes basically for everything. You're just like, oh, yeah, I'm here. Like, let me in. Yeah. And you're good. Except for test sessions, which would be pretty cool if you could do that, though. If you had a season pass and there's like Corvettes like testing, you're like, excuse me, sir. I'm <laughs> excuse me. Pass. I know some people. <laughs> yeah. It should be like that though. I mean, come on. I feel like, I feel like every other, uh, entertainment industry is doing that. You know, like Disney does their stupid, you know, their, their word, whatever. You get to see people do crazy stuff. We should be able to, you know, sit there and spy on Corvette or Porsche. Is that new Glickenhaus coming? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that I would, that's worthy of spying over for sure. Man, I, I almost want to talk about that, but we'll wait. We'll wait on that till uh, we get more uh, more info. It's on. all vaporware at this point. 
Well, they did have that test tunnel oh, uh, image I, that was on Twitter that uh, Jim posted. So well, they st- don't they still need to get approved? Uh, what for the tub, the FIA tub, or something? Or like that, maybe? I thought I thought the ACO didn't want them. Or is it IMSA? No, the IMSA doesn't want them. Oh, wow. That that was the whole argument. Americans and, uh, being dumb? You can't yeah. really think about that. Americans denying wow. Americans. Yeah. Oh, Dude, wow. And, and what would be the insane thing if if they actually went out and won Le Mans and then they were, like, denied by, the, by IMSA to go race at Daytona, being, like, the current defending Le Mans winners, and they're, like... The, the the people they beat are allowed to race at Daytona, but the American team that beat the, the like Toyota, who's my favorite team, if they actually did it, like aren't allowed to go race at Daytona. That is that's asinine. That is asinine, and I, it's so hilarious to me. And it's funny too that it's like it's like for whatever thing you could say about pol- for like a political thing with ACO and all that stuff, it's kind of like dude, you like. This is like a softball, like a like a like a soft pitch. You just have to hit it. Like it's not. This isn't a tough decision. Mm-hmm. Let Glickenhaus in. Like just say that you can make exceptions, and obviously Glickenhaus can come in. Like don't do this tippy tappy thing where it's just like, well, we let major manufacturers, you know, blah 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 blah. You know, we have to have whatever to maintain. You let an Alpha our... Romeo win in TCR class, but I don't see any Alpha Romeos in the road here. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I, I you know it. There's a lot of brand activation involved, yes, and I'm sure Jim Glickenhaus is gonna. It would have a nice little display of some of his cars, but it wouldn't be as grandiose. You know, they, he wouldn't be as investing. You wouldn't see Glickenhaus signs everywhere. You know, <clears throat> on hospitality tents and on along road, you know, uh, track signage, all that stuff. So there's an aspect of marketability to all this stuff too. That it's just kind of like <clears throat> Jim's just kind of going like, "Hey guys, you know." Are you guys being hypocrites here? Cause about, you know, cause it's about marketing a little bit instead of the racing, you know, even though the people we've been complaining about for like the last five years straight, you know, about how they hate racing kind of still do things like the racing way, hint the ACO. That's who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but anyway, sorry, I'm going to get, that was a little, a little political aside, but I, je- I desperately want Glickenhaus to do well just because that the better they do, I think the more, the better chance they'll, have of actually racing in IMSA, and I can see them in person because I desperately want to see them. I think we just need class class alignment, <sighs> at least top class alignment. That's what he's saying. That's yeah. what he's saying. He's he was saying that we need to he goes aside to and... ditch the LMP2 tubs, and I agree with him. They, they shouldn't be using LMP2 tubs. They should not. LMP2 is its own beast. That's its own thing. It works. But LMP, I, I think for whatever the upgrade of LMP2 is, the LMP1, LMP, uh, X, Z, Y, you know, uh, infinite, that is its own thing. It should be built by its own standards, that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I, I think that should be the way forward. And hopefully we'll see Jim racing at an IMSA event near you soon. Uh, but yeah. Speaking of IMSA events near you, we got some changes here. Yeah. An IMSA event could be moving near you or moving further away from you, depending on where you live. <laughs> Yeah, great news for Southeast people. Yeah. I guess people in the South and uh, more specifically Georgia area. Yeah, the Southern Eastern. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. There we go. That area. Uh, Basically, VIR maintains it. No fans allowed, though. No fans allowed. So you can uh, watch. The main races are going to be on Saturday. 
Yes, to avoid uh, scheduling conflicts with a, uh, a very, very uh, popular uh, yeah. auto event. I don't know if people ever heard of it, though. Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I I don't know little, if we should little, really say it, though. place called Indianapolis, yeah. a 500 mile race. Yeah. No, nobody really yeah, cares yeah, about yeah, it, though. There's a distance. There's the, I think mileage. The, you know, I think. the Michelin Pilot race on the same day. People are going to want to watch that. I don't know. I'm yeah. not too sure. The uh, Virginia is for Lovers Racing Grand Prix. Yeah. And. <laughs> exactly. That, the, the Sunday race, there, there's some weird people that race without fenders over their over the tires. It's really odd. So I, I don't know. But on Saturday, there'll be a GT only event yep. at VIR, which will be 20 cars, though. Yeah. And especially a big track like VIR that might not put up too good of a show. Some tells me the way that the Corvettes have been, have started with GT one might be good, actually, because they were pretty sorry. close here at Road America. So yeah. Yeah. It, we'll see. We'll see. I just feel like that's going to be. I wonder, I feel like it's going to be some pit strategy, maybe tire strategy. <clears throat> mm-hmm. It'd be great to see some weather come in. I would love to see a wet VIR. It's been a long time, I feel like, since I've seen some weather come to play at VIR. But look, I got spoiled with Road America again, having some, some weather, and that was fantastic. So I can't hope too much. But yeah, it's uh, that should be a decent race, even though, yeah, the car count's a little bit down with that. But a GT-only race, mm-hmm. um, that's like one of the... Uh, Final remaining rounds of the Sprint Cup, right? I think there is. Uh, after that, it is the Roval's coming up. Yeah, the Charlotte Roval. That would be it, right? I think so. Yeah. So that would be. So this might be the second last round. Don't quote us on that because because then you have, have internet right three now, endurance right? rounds, right? Right. You know, right next to each other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And speaking of, uh, we have the second endurance round of the year. Incredibly, <laughs> to say that uh, coming up. Uh, at Road Atlanta. Wow. Weird to say again. For the six hour race, which is also weird to say. That entire combo makes utterly no sense in any calendar year other than 2020. Um, and it's because of, uh, the Glen, uh, six hour at the Glen being moved from, uh, Road, uh, uh, from, I'm sorry, uh, from Watkins Glen to Road Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, just from the aspect New York's not letting people race there. Nope. So. We're going to Road Atlanta. So that's going to be Labor Day weekend. Um, that'll be an interesting race. I might even be going to that. We'll find out. I'm going to see how much tickets are. I think they're letting people in for that. I will be social distancing, if anything. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to go to a few races here because um, I feel like this is the appropriate time to do it. I have nothing else to do. And if they're letting people yeah. in, I can be safe. I'll go here for the major race weekend because I put on my mask and try to stay yeah, away from people. I got, I got a bunch of hand sanitizer. Yeah. I know how to stay away from people. You know, they... They're weird anyway. So. I, I haven't caught COVID, so like something's <laughs> working out for me. But yeah, so uh, the Roval's added, so that'll be the last GT uh, only round. Um, that'll, that'll be for the NASCAR be the last weekend sprint race as well. That's gonna be that's, pretty uh, cool. Yeah, yeah that's I something. You, yeah, during NASCAR weekend. I yeah, completely forgot about that. Yeah, it's and it's gonna be on NBCSN, so it's gonna be really. It's gonna I be think, so prepare for a lot of you know NASCAR people tying in. Yes, like yes. what do you see at the Rolex. I think it should be pretty – there should be a lot of good battles. I think just with how the track's laid out, there's not a lot of room for passing. Mid-Ohio, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is is that going to be a GT – no, that's not an only a GT-only round, right? No, that's uh, – LMP2, only LMP2s are, are excluded from that. So we got Mid-Ohio and Virginia and Charlotte left. Okay, okay, okay. And then, and then it pushes on to, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Then it pushes on to Road Atlanta. Like Road Atlanta, I think, yeah, because you get Road Atlanta, then you have Mid Ohio and Charlotte, I believe. Then you get, you know, Petite, and I believe the twelve hours could be the twelve hours. Yep. So that's kind of more or less what I believe is so far the schedule change. Um, and from what I understand, 
Petite is still going to happen with some fans. I don't know about camping. I think they. I think the six hours they're allowing fans as well as yeah, season posts about might, it. But it might be a very limited schedule, like a Friday Saturday um, mm-hmm. allowance, maybe if anything. And then Sebring, I don't know yet. I don't think there's any word yet on what they're going to do with that. But I mean, if they only were doing five thousand fans for Sebring for that one, I, I just, I just don't know what what they're going to do with every because it's not really down necessarily for like state mandates because the state can decree obviously if they don't want to do have uh spectators at whatever you know then that's that's one thing but i think this is from like you know nascar incorporated kind of thing from mm-hmm. their own standpoint so um and i think we're just lucky because i don't know some i mean there's some nascar events that there definitely weren't they they had like third capacity and that was it or some of them weren't we're still having no fans yeah. So it's just, I'm, I'm fortunate Dover that we have this, this weekend. opportunity. But. Uh, they had no fans. Yeah. Daytona is limiting capacity. I know the NASCAR is at Road America since it's a four mile track. They, they, they They're was like, meh. Well, same with IndyCar. Yeah. IndyCar was like that Indy, too, wasn't Indy, it? IndyCar, Road America in general, like every single, since June Sprint was like the, the big SCCA weekend here, they, since it's like a four mile track and they only have like limited number of grandstands, they didn't just, they didn't limit the people coming in because they figured, oh yeah, there's, Lots of room to spread out. Yeah. As I think we hear the next group four of the of the day coming past <laughs> us on the Kettle Moraine Strait here. <laughs> oh, that's well, uh, that's prototypes. That's old uh, IMSA prototypes right there. Yeah. Well, you know, we're gonna wrap this episode up. And um, Flood wanted us to mention uh, the oh, Penske yes. Acura split. So we're gonna do that like while <laughs> while the music's starting to fade in. But, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some interesting developments, I would say, in the next couple of years. Hopefully this isn't the end of Penske being an IMSA. I, that would be such a weirdly failed adventure that I feel like we'd have to talk about that as its own self. But all like, I know is that Penske's splitting from Acura, but the rumors are Penske's going to Porsche, and uh, Meyer Shanks going to take over the Acura spot. That's uh, the rumors. I, I would love nothing more than that to happen. So, Cause, like... Then my PP will be very, very hot. <laughs> uh, never, you can cut that out if you want to. But uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, any any final thoughts, Chris? How did you? Uh, anything else you want to add while we're hanging out in person at Road America, watching some more racing behind us here? Some yeah. prototypes, basically. It's old. It's like old, like uh, prototype challenge. Yeah, these are old LMPC, like some yeah. monsters, man. Yeah, this is gonna be great. Oh, uh, I, I just have to say it's. These lat- at least it's been nice having you know IMSA here in America but it's going to it. it's my first my second IMSA race which is one in Daytona and uh, it's been nice seeing you in person yeah first time ever uh, two Americans got together for a podcast yeah yeah, yeah. this is great yeah I don't, th- I don't think they had they, sure they did a couple interviews with some people yeah. at Bathurst I, I think we no, beat them. I think is, we beat them this is genuine yeah, this, is, this is professional right here the, like look people were driving past us and we're like wow this they they I, you know, they know eyes behind my, the back of my head, they were seeing people <laughs> going like, wow, you are, that is impressive. So, I just want to say that. We actually got a line for autographs, actually. <laughs> <laughs> are you, you Chris Washington? Gotta... <laughs> <laughs> well, we had meet and greet, but nobody showed up for that. So, maybe this um, makes up for it. But yeah, Chris, yeah, it, was a, it was a pleasure uh, seeing you. This was like almost this kind of spur of the moment thing. Yeah. And uh, this worked out really, really well. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do this again in the future because this was a lot of fun. So, yeah, on behalf of Chris and myself, uh, Cookie Monster Austin, uh, thanks everyone. Uh, have a good time. Hopefully, enjoy a race stream or race near you safely and uh, a social distance and gazoo! <laughs>